0: Welcome to the
1: Jewish Orthodox Woman or Joma Podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician, and I'm really honored and excited to be with two amazing people today, Dr. Caitlin Brooks and Avi Golden. Hi, hi! Thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here.
2: Absolutely, thank you.
1: Dr. Caitlin Brooks is an assistant professor and clinical supervisor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at Malloy College in Rockville Center, New York. Dr. Brooks is a licensed and certified speech-language pathologist with experience working with adults with speech, language, cognitive, and swallowing disorders in various settings. Dr. Brooks has published and presented on topics related to communication and swallowing disorders, related to stroke, as well as the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to the rehabilitation process. Dr. Brooks is passionate about improving awareness of aphasia and other communication disorders and educating allied health professionals on ways to improve communication with individuals with a communication disorder, especially in emergency situations. Avi Golden is a practicing EMT and former critical care and flight paramedic with North Shore LIJ, Northwell EMS, and New York Presbyterian EMS. Avi holds a Bachelor's of Science in Biology and has extensive experience as a practicing paramedic, both in the U.S. and with Magen Adom David in Israel. After experiencing a stroke in 2007 and experiencing resulting aphasia, Avi now educates the medical and lay community and advocates for aphasia awareness. So I thank you both for joining me finally. <laughs> we finally <laughs> were able to do this. And I'm really excited because I myself do not know much about aphasia. I mean, I know I'm a doctor, I know what it means, um, but I actually myself need some aphasia awareness. So can we start with going through the definitions, Doctor Brooks, with aphasia? Absolutely. What is aphasia?
3: Would, I'd love to tell you more about aphasia. It's a topic Avi and I are both very passionate about and we've been speaking together. For many years now, um, doing these kinds of talks. So, aphasia is an acquired communication disorder. Uh, it impairs somebody's ability to speak, also to process language, and sometimes their ability to understand what other people are saying. Most of the people that have aphasia will have some level of difficulty with reading and writing as well. Um, something that's important to note is that even though people have difficulty communicating, it doesn't impact their intelligence, and we could talk about that a little bit more um, throughout the podcast today, but that's a point that Avi and I like to make very clear at the beginning of our talk, that it's not an issue with intelligence, it's an issue with language. So that's what aphasia is, and there are many
1: different types um, of aphasia. I can get into that, or I can get into it later, whatever you think. No, sure. sure. I'm, we're going to say it multiple times, though, that aphasia does not affect intelligence, because I think that's a point we really want to drive home. Yep. that's Absolutely. Thumbs if up That's from like Avi. one of the main <laughs>
3: people take away from this talk. I, that's yeah.
1: something I really would like people to mm-hmm. take away from this
3: talk mm-hmm. um, But just to kind of review um, these types of aphasia, I'm not going to go into insane detail because that's more for my speech pathology students that need to diagnose. Mm-hmm. But just for the public, for people that may encounter somebody that has a communication disorder, there's two main types. There's a fluent type of aphasia and a non-fluent type of aphasia. And What that means is if somebody has a non-fluent aphasia, it means their their speech is very labored. It sounds very effortful, and it's hard for the person to get the words out. It's almost like that tip of the tongue feeling that we all Mm. get sometimes, but happening almost every single sentence. Um, So that's one type of aphasia that's considered more non-fluent. The person has difficulty retrieving the words, getting fluent sentences out. But typically, depending on the severity, you can get the gist of what the person is trying to say. The other type is a fluent aphasia, where the words actually flow out real easily. The words are coming out. Mm -hmm. What's lacking there is the content. So the person's talking, but you're not understanding what they're saying. And the tricky part with a fluent aphasia is the person has difficulty understanding you. So when you're Mm -hmm. talking to the person with fluent aphasia, they're not understanding that what they're saying is not making sense. Um, it's what we call a speech pathologist's like, jargon or word salad. It's just kind of like a mishmash of words. So the, the reason it's important to bring this up is that sometimes people with a fluent aphasia are misdiagnosed as having a psychiatric disorder because mm-hmm. it may appear that way. And that's very much not what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I've actually heard instances of people in an accident and maybe they already had this fluent type of aphasia in the past and somebody getting taken to a psych ward because the emergency responders thought that that's what was going on and that was not the case. Now, on the spot in an emergency situation, it's hard for somebody to figure that out. Did this person have a communication disorder before? What kind of communication issue was it? But at least Avi and I's point is that we want people to know that there's different types of issues Mm -hmm. that people can have, producing language and understanding language. So if somebody has this kind of jargon-like speech, just know that they might not be understanding what you're saying to them. If you're asking them to follow directions or you're asking them for their personal information, they're not going to be able to verbalize that to you as opposed to somebody with a non-fluence aphasia, which Avi going to talk about his experience with aphasia. Mm-hmm. Avi has a non-fluence aphasia. The speech is more effortful, but Avi understands what I'm saying to him. He mm-hmm. says 90% of the time. He tells me sometimes he, he misses a little bit here or there, mm-hmm. but for the most part, Understanding is not the issue. Mm -hmm.
1: Expressing
3: is the issue. So did I make that clear that there's two different types? I I, want to
1: make, I want to make two points. First of all, I I watched the YouTube video that you sent me. How do people find that? Because I think it's so Uh, clear from watching the different types.
3: Awesome. I'm happy you brought that up. So Avi and I, a few years back, we made a YouTube video um, with public access television called Recognize Aphasia. So if you go to YouTube, and just type in, I think it's recognize aphasia or recognizing aphasia. I can actually look really quick. You will like see us pop up. And what I like, yeah, it's recognize aphasia. Um, and what we like about this video is it has video examples, so you can mm-hmm. actually listen to fluent versus non-fluent. And I think that makes it even more clear. So that was a good point to bring up, Dr. Picken.
1: Thank you. Right. And the other question, would it be helpful to wear like an emergency bracelet? Do people do that? So what people typically do, so like I worked for many years in hospitals and rehabs,
3: and I would never let a client of mine leave the rehab without having some sort of card that they can hold in their wallet that's Mm. like an aphasia ID card, pretty much. Mm. And in an emergency situation or in any kind of situation, the person can hand it to an individual. Say you're even at a store and you're you're trying to order something and you're just having a hard time. Typically, these cards say, uh, I have aphasia. It is difficulty, uh, it means I have difficulty communicating, I understand you, if that is the case, and it kind of, it's tailored for that specific person, and what it has is strategies for the other person that they're talking to, to use, (coughs) Uh, please speak slowly, please, uh, you know, give me time to process information, I mean, I don't know, Avi, can you have any other ideas of what it says on your aphasia ID card?
2: Uh, Uh, Do you have uh,
3: yours available? Yes. For a Sure. That would be second. helpful, I think. Yeah, exactly. he's gotta
1: dig it out of the old wallet. I really want to give Avi a chance too, so yes. I want to go right into that story next. Yes, yes, definitely.
2: Hello on one second.
1: It's it's so amazing to have the two of you together because it's two different facets, you know? Thank you. We like to think we're a dynamic. We're demo. not we're, we're not recording um video just so you know. That's right. So showing us I forgot about help. that part. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we can see each other, but
1: everybody else can't see us. The podcast got it. Look, There's a card. But there's a card. But we can talk later about all the things. I think yeah. that's really an important part Definitely. of the podcast. I want this to be practical for people.
2: Sure.
1: So Avi, can you tell us your story, please?
2: Sure, absolutely. So uh, I have a stroke anaphasia now. But before, I was a critical care and flight paramedic in many, many hospitals around the USA, uh, New York City, um, and uh, I was going to go to medical school, but first of all, my father who has who is a he who, who was a MD, he has a mitral valve prolapse, so I have mitral prolapses hereditary. So I say, you know what? Before medical school, I'm going to go to surgery and then go to medical school three months afterwards. So in the su- Uh, surgery I have a stroke resulting in aphasia Um, so basically so so for one year all I could say was Michael and I have again still no idea even today who or what is Michael I mean I have a girl uh, roommate I have a a Roommate, I have cousins, but I don't know why Michael is there. Um, and then also my arm, my arm and my leg is weak as well. Um, and before the, yeah. So, so now, um, I am still working with a, with a speech pathology, working with speech pathology to speak, uh, more normally, um, and I am speaking with uh Allison. Not Allison. Hold on, Ken. Nope. Al. Nope. Hold on. <laughs> um. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you mean me? Katie. Caitlin? Katie. Close. <laughs> close. Close. Uh, or a lot of or a speech pathology to to speak with EMS, police, uh, firemen. And the hospitals around the country. Um, and three, for me, For me, I like uh, sports like disability sports, like skydiving or snowboarding or swimming with pigs, et cetera. <laughs> so that, uh, that's my story, uh, small. In yeah. a nutshell, yeah. Yeah.
1: How long ago was this?
2: Now it's 5, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years ago now.
1: Wow. So you've it's come cool. a long way from saying Michael.
2: Too. But, but yeah. I'm still working. I right. mean, I'm working with a speech with all it every day. So, it, but it's getting better. Really. No,
1: better. you've come a long way and that. I think that that's really inspiring. You know, I noticed also from the video on aphasia.org, that's another great site besides your video. There's a, um a great, I don't remember the title of the particular video that I saw, but there's a video from a support group. Mm-hmm. And it was also very impressive to see you know, the range, you know, because okay. I thought, okay, aphasia means you can't talk, but that's mm-hmm. not what it means.
2: It, it It is, is aphasia. Yes. But it, everybody is different. That's right. number one.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and with, with, with therapy, which I want to talk about, you can make a lot of progress clearly. So I do, I'm going to give Caitlin a chance to talk again. I guess I feel like I'm the conductor here for this. Um, Tell us, we talked a little bit about the different types. How common is aphasia? It's pretty common. We actually, Javi and I,
3: we were talking about some statistics on this Mm -hmm. the other day. We were trying to get some up-to-date facts. So I actually jotted some things down here. Um, The most common cause, I'll say first, is stroke. So Mm -hmm. stroke accounts for about 25 to 40% of stroke survivors will have some form of aphasia. So if you're wondering what would cause somebody to have a communication disorder, that would be the most common Mm -hmm. People with head injuries or brain tumors or other neurological conditions also may have aphasia. Um, People that have some uh, form of head injury, about a third of people have an issue with communication after uh, head injury. Um, It can also be caused from progressive neurological diseases as well, though. So that's something to be aware of, um, that people that have uh, Alzheimer's disease and other uh, progressive diseases may, as the disease progresses, have difficulty with communicating uh, and have aphasia. But over 2 million people in America do struggle um, with aphasia. One in every 125 people in the U.S. have aphasia. And wow. there's over 200,000 new cases each year. And what's really interesting is that aphasia is more common than cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy,
1: and spinal cord injuries. Yet most I think even Parkinson's. And Parkinson's, I believe. And
3: Parkinson's, exactly. And people have not heard of it. And typically, if you don't know somebody who's experienced aphasia or you yourself haven't experienced it, you, you really don't know what it is. And that's really tough. Like for me as a, as a speech pathologist and I'm working in a rehab and somebody just had a massive stroke. And now I'm trying to explain to their loved ones this is still your loved one. They're still who they were before. They're just Ooh. not able to get the words out. And it's it's a very difficult thing for people to grasp because it feels like they've lost that loved one, even if the person's right there in front of them because they can't communicate the same way that they did before. We really take communication for granted. I talk to my students about this all the time. It's something, and also swallowing, but that's a whole, that's a different talk for a different day, but that's something else speech pathologists do. We help people lose the ability to swallow. But talking and eating are my favorite things, which is why I became an SLP, but <laughs> it's just, cool. it's a, it's a really hard thing for people to understand. So that's why these talks are so important to Avi and I, to just educate people on what is this? What is aphasia?
1: Right. And I, is I, and when? I have an obvious question for Avi is how was this for you to go from, you know, being pre-med
2: yeah. to saying <laughs> Michael? Mm-hmm. Eh, it's fine.
0: <laughs> okay. No biggie. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, listen, you know, in my head Mm -hmm. in my head i want to go to medical school that's number one um but now i am teaching with a speech for together about aphasia so that's like number one medical school number two right there is going to speaking Mm -hmm. so for me it's it's hard for me to go to medical school, meaning I want to well cry or whatever. But they, uh, but people understand more than just uh, speech pathology. So I think it's more people understand more uh, understand more aphasia. So EMS, police, hospitals understand more than before. So that's so that's good.
0: Right,
1: I mean, you're you possibly making a bigger difference with what you're doing now than you might have as a doctor.
2: Yes, right. No, but yes.
1: <laughs> you don't. You you'd be surprised. You know, I mean, I think you know, different people have different paths in life, but you're making a huge difference for so many people, and so I think that that's really incredible. Okay, so how do you treat aphasia? Hmm, that's a million dollar question. So
3: <laughs> I, I lecture on this a lot. Uh, for it would take me many, many hours to tell you every method to treat aphasia, but I'm going to give you just kind of an overview. So there's different approaches of how you can work um, to improve your communication after a stroke, or if you're exhibiting aphasia. Typically, as an SLP, I see people right after they've had their stroke, within a couple of weeks. And people start to make progress typically right off the bat. Once they're like medically stable and they're able to sit down and participate and have the energy to do therapy, I'm seeing gains to some degree. And you might have heard of something called spontaneous recovery, where people, after they have a brain injury, they do just spontaneously get better. Their brain does heal with time, but it does, doesn't always go back 100% to what it was before the person had the brain injury. So that's where therapy comes in. And a person will get physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy after exhibiting a stroke. So for me, when I'm meeting this person, my first and most important thing that I want to find out is what's important for this individual. We individualize our therapy. So it's not like I can say, oh, they have a non-fluent aphasia. This is exactly what I'm going to do. I do the same thing for every client that has this type of aphasia because like Avi mentioned before, it's it affects everybody differently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's even though... You know, I know Avi and I know several other people that do these talks with Avi and I that also have a non-fluence aphasia. They sound different. There, there's some similarities there, but there's different severity levels and whatnot. So there's just not any blanket treatment that I can say really works. So pretty much there's two approaches. You have a, a restorative approach where what I'm trying to do is help the person to regain the lost function, right? So I'm trying to help them to regain these skills, reconnect pathways in the brain. The other approach would be more compensatory. Like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find what can help this person to compensate in the moment when they're struggling, having difficulty communicating, what kind of strategies work for this person. So something that works for Avi might not work for, you know, Mr. Jones. It, it, It depends. So that's my job is not only to diagnose the type of communication disorder that the person has, but then to sit with them and figure out what's important to you. What do we need? to get you communicating to the level that you'd like to or back to how you were prior um, to the best of our ability. So restorative and compensatory are the two approaches. And yes, there's many different ways that we can do that. Maybe Avi can tell a little bit about what he does in mm-hmm. his therapy because you go every week, right? Avi, how, how often do you go?
2: Uh, it's four, di- four times, four, di- four different times, four different I go to Adler Aphasia Center in Maywood. By the way, please come to Adler. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skype, hot topics, advocacy, plays every year. You know, it's so that. Yes. yeah. Um, number two, uh, NYU, number three, teacher college, and, uh, Mona Greenfield is a speech pathology. So I go twice a week to Mona as well. So that's me, but yeah.
3: And is a lot of the therapy you do obviously like more conversational in those uh therapy sessions do you work on having conversations and using strategies or
2: Yes and also work uh play reading writing listening speaking uh mute not music mu- music is music. um uh play not play um talking talking with uh speech pathology so it's uh getting it's getting nor getting every year better for me. So yeah. Definitely.
1: Yeah. How much time a week does that take?
2: <laughs> it's, like <two> <laughs> <laughs> it's like two minutes. All
1: right. <laughs> Try <That laughs> <was. laughs>
2: Uh It's I don't know. Ten, twenty hours, meaning Adler of HGender is for four days, for uh, four hours. Mm. Two, Mona Greenfield is twice a week for five or six hours, which is a, uh, uh, a speech pathology or two, and me work for one hour, but then, uh, then I go with a lot of people. Who is, uh, is plays, hot topics, advocacy for one or two hours or three hours. Uh, um, Mona Greenfield, NYU and teacher colleges, one or one and a half hours also. Right.
1: So it's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work after all these
2: years. Yeah. You and, all, mm-hmm. sorry, but also everybody is different. So for me, right. I love working, but a lot of people is like, oh, Adler Fish gender, and that's all, you know. Right. Yeah.
1: And they and may just, have different degrees, right? I mean, if it's a mild aphasia, you may need less therapy for less time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to piggyback off what Avi was just saying... Therapy sometimes is one-on-one and sometimes it's group therapy and it depends on the person what they would like to participate in or what as me as the SLP, what I would maybe recommend. But I love group therapy for my clients that have aphasia because it helps them to practice the things that we've been doing one-on-one in therapy together, whatever strategies we're working on, kind of challenging them in the, in the moment of being in a conversation. So doing those sorts of group therapy activities like Adler Aphasia Center in New Jersey they have a lot of this kind of um, like aphasia advocacy. They It's a group of people with aphasia that are actually talking about aphasia and educating others on aphasia. They do plays. Right. Avi, I saw Avi was in Oklahoma. Right. That was, oh, wow. that was awesome. It was they put on plays. So it's another way of, of practicing verbalizing by reading mm-hmm. a script. It's like script therapy. So there's there's different ways that you can work uh, on your communication. That's not just me, the SLP, sitting in a room with the person and doing like drill type, type of work, which is right. one one way, one approach. Maybe not the most exciting, but there's ways to make mm-hmm. it exciting and tailor it so it's about the person's interests and things that they like to do and things that they like to talk about. So, you know, there, there are different ways, but I did want to mention the group therapy versus uh, the one-on-one kind of therapy.
1: Right, and I would think that the group therapy would also have a supportive aspect to it as well. Yeah, yeah. So there are support groups for people
3: with aphasia as well as their their family members uh, and caregivers so at Molloy College where I work we have um, in our university clinic we actually train speech pathology students to work with people with aphasia and other communication disorders and um, we have also a support group for families that have a loved one with aphasia and a lot of university clinics have things like that too so if 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 a person's listening to this and they are looking for something like that, search within your area. If there's colleges that have speech language pathology programs, a lot of times they do offer those sorts of services, support, not just for the person with aphasia, but for their loved ones as well. Because it's a transition for everybody, not just the person that's experienced this, but their loved ones as well. Like I had mentioned earlier, it's a big change
1: for people. Right. And I would mention that that website again, aphasia.org. It's so impressive. Great. So impressive. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Avi, what are some of the most important things you want people to know about aphasia or ways that people can help? Um
2: I I think for me Again, everybody's different. That's number one. Absolutely number one. Number two, um I after the stroke, I went I am going to super supermarket or uh restaurant, and I say uh, before I was a paramedic, unfortunately I have a stroke, so please, uh, hold on, hold on and wait for me to say, uh, 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 restaurant, like doing stuff like that. Or, or, or I can, or me and Caitlin will go to EMS and, and I, and we'll speak about aphasia, so it's good, is good. Yeah. so
1: patience, right? I mean, people should be patient.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm a pediatrician, so this comes up in so many ways. I have anxious parents. You have to be mm-hmm. patient. I have people who may stutter or may have a hearing loss. You have to be patient, but it's important, right. To emphasize that. And we're going to say it again, just because you have aphasia does not mean that you're not intelligent. Exactly. I said we were going to say that at least one more time. Yes. I'm happy you did. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Some other things that people should know. Either of you can come up with it.
3: So we have, Avi and I have some communication tips that we typically Mm -hmm. share with people when we do these talks. If you don't mind, I can kind of tell you about some of those. So some of them might seem obvious, but one thing would be just making sure that you have the person's attention before you're speaking to them. If you're getting the vibe that they have difficulty with language in some way, and I'm not talking about speaking a different language from you. I'm talking about having difficulty either understanding, processing, or producing language Just make sure you have the person's attention in a, you know, not not a rude way, like look at me, but just giving them a tap on the shoulder, making sure that they're looking at you. Because sometimes just body language and facial expression, those nonverbal forms of communication can help the person to understand. So having the person's attention before you speak is a really good uh, tip. Another one that may seem obvious is just. Minimizing or eliminating background noise if possible, like a blasting television or radio or sirens or whatever it may be, trying to get a quiet environment because it's just super distracting for anybody. But think if you're having difficulty processing language and then you have all this information, this all this stimulation going on. So that's another thing. It's just eliminating background noise if possible.
2: Or close the door.
3: Um, what'd you say, Abby? I'm sorry. Close the door. Yeah, yeah. Just mm-hmm. closing the door, trying to get a pri- like more of a private, cl- uh, quiet space is is usually helpful. Um, another thing I like to tell people that may uh, encounter or meet somebody with aphasia is you can keep your voice at a normal level. I think we all tend to, if we think somebody's not understanding us, we automatically go to let me turn my volume up, you know. But it's not an issue with hearing, it's an issue with understanding the the language. So talking louder is not going to help. So that's something just to keep in mind as well, is that you can keep your voice at a normal level and keep your communication simple, but adult-like. You don't have to talk to the person like they're a child. I don't have to talk to you like this. It's just not necessary. But I can maybe shorten a sentence or simplify a direction, something like that. Um, and then just confirm that you're communicating successfully with the person by asking yes and no questions. Sometimes just simplifying what you're asking uh, checking with them that you're understanding it's a good way just to keep the communication flowing and make sure that you're understanding each other any, any other ones avi that um, that we've talked about or that you want to mention
2: um, is five, ten different types and is you uh, is six or seven is speaking so yeah I, I think it's you're awesome. Thank
3: you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, one G- thing Gestures.
1: That I, what about gestures?
3: Yeah. So that's like actually I just gave you
1: the thumbs up. <laughs>
3: yes. So that's something Nobody's that he just, <laughs> just reminded me with his thumbs up that right. communicating with gestures helps not just the person with aphasia, but speaking to a person with aphasia mm-hmm. using gestures can help um, with their understanding of information. Same thing goes for writing, drawing. Sometimes I've had... Finds with aphasia who can't write the word, but they can draw a picture of what they're asking me for, or what they're trying to tell me. So sometimes giving them a pen and paper and just saying, "Can you draw it? Can you write the first letter of the word?" It kind of helps you as the listener to guide them and get them to whatever the the, the whatever they're trying to tell you. So keeping a pen and paper handy or, or using something like that can be helpful. Um, and something that Avi and I talk about a lot. Is the listeners should try to resist the urge to finish the person's sentence. And you guys can't see us, but Avi and I are smiling because I finish his sentences a lot. <laughs> and <but> I <laughs> asked him because <laughs> ask we've been friends for like eight years now. I'm like, does it bother you? And he says, No, no, right, Avi? Do you say it?
2: Yes, I uh, seriously just stop. No, <laughs> <laughs> no stop. I'm joking. I'm joking, I'm joking. Yes.
3: But Avi told me that it's it's fine because like we're friends and I've asked him before. But if it's somebody you don't really know and you've never had that conversation with them, don't just finish their sentences, right? So it's like even if you kind of know, you can even say to the person, "Would you like me to help you?" or "I think I know what you're trying to say. Do you want me to guess?" I would just ask permission versus just finishing the person. Like I do sometimes, obviously. so I know I'm not taking my own advice. But um, I think if you're friends with the person or it's a family member, it might be different. But it's a conversation that you should have with that person and just ask that. They
2: and also, if in the in the surgery, in the student, I say, "Hold on, please stop. I want to learn. I want to speak. I want to say the word." Uh, for one or two day, one or two start one or two sentences. But after the uh, classroom, for me, don't worry, it's all good for me. Yeah.
3: So in yeah. the therapy session, you would prefer they don't give you the answer. Yeah. I have to teach my students that a lot because when you want to help the person, you know, you want to help your client but well, we're not helping them to reconnect those pathways in their brain. If we're just giving the answers. So mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Avi. just you'd rather just, than let you do it.
2: Yeah. Just for, for me, like one or two seconds or minutes, hold on. But then for me, uh, I don't, I, I don't understand or whatever. What do you say for speech pathology? And they got the girl or the guy says, blah, blah, blah. So for me, it's, I understand. Sorry, uh, Alice is. uh, Right, no, I
1: think I'm thinking about how that can happen for children who have special education services too, Mm -hmm. that they can do too much for them. They're trying to help, but they're really doing more for them. They're not giving them space. That's what you mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. What about in emergency situations? Mm. Are there. This is for both of you.
2: (laughs) So for me, in emergency, the EMS or hospital, just saying, first of all, is uh, fast, 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 because I want to. The paramedics want to go to hospitals, Mm. so for for one hour, I'm racing to drive or. First, take care of me, and then drive. And the fa- people with aphasia is saying, "I'm so sorry, I have to do it all the way to rushing to the hospital." Um, but so, so yeah. So it's 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 like uh, better than the ho- better in the hospital, but is doing it as... It's working for the patient, working people with the patient, working with the patient who has aphasia as well.
1: Right. So I'm wondering what you're saying is that, if I understand that, in an emergency, everything is very fast-paced, and one of the things that you need is time, but you don't have time. I'm thinking that that would be where an emergency bracelet with all your information would be good. I mean, I have a daughter with seizures, and she has that. Mm-hmm. It's it's really valuable. You just you know, click on it and it goes into the computer and it gives you all the data. It it is
2: true. Yes, absolutely.
3: I've had clients of mine with aphasia though, that didn't really want to, because I've talked to them about wearing something like a bracelet Mm and it's not, it's really depends on the person, but I've had a couple Mm -hmm. of people that weren't as into the idea. They, they didn't want to feel like defined by it, I guess. I'm not really sure because it was other people's opinions. So I don't know really what, what the stem of it was, but they preferred Mm -hmm. to have the card in their wallet right behind their license if, God forbid, they were in an accident and they're laying on the side of the road, the police are going to look in your wallet, right? They're going to look and see your, who you are. So at least if it's right there, that's why I always tell my clients, to please keep it with your license so the person knows you have a communication issue. Because if you're hurt, you're not going to be able to you know, tell the person that you have aphasia. And the point of Avi and I doing these talks is even if the person says, I have aphasia, what if the person doesn't really know what aphasia is? Avi told me when we first met that when he looked in his EMT textbook, right after he had his stroke, he looked in his textbook, and it literally had four words. It said, aphasia is difficulty speaking or something like it was just so like, limited, general, you know, and it's like, that's not going to help anybody to so if that's all you know, which I'm hoping people know more, you know, nowadays, that was what like, fifteen years you know, thirteen, fourteen years ago. But I don't know. I mean that's been Avi and I's goal is just so to get the word out that people know what this is. And in an emergency situation, you know, now that you're aware of what aphasia is, look for a card. Look to see if the person has something in their wallet that's saying that they have communication difficulties. Yes, obviously you put your hands up. What do you want to say? <laughs> so
2: you can, now you can go to uh, app, like cell phone app and look at the app saying aphasia or whatever also. Is there a certain app that like you yeah. have on your phone? No, but I'm thinking, Oh, making oh, one. You're thinking oh. That gonna create this.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a plug for something that I have no money, no stake in, no stock in, um, but it's what my daughter uses. It's called road ID because we were debating getting the, oh, yeah. um, you've heard of that one. That. I it's haven't. What is cheaper. it? It's cheaper than the, um, was it a Medicaid, medic alert? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the same thing, but it's cheaper. It's like, I don't know, $10 a year maintenance and I think like activation of, I don't know, 35 or 50 mm-hmm. or something. Um, And we've used it with my daughter's seizure. She had a seizure. She was wearing the bracelet. She does not walk around yeah. with a wallet. You know, a lot of women do not have pockets. Right. That's true. <laughs> Wallets <laughs> on us. So for... Half the population mm-hmm. that might not work as well. Um, but the bracelets and yeah. they come in all different colors. Um, road ID. I'm a big fan.
3: Interesting. I'll look into it. I've never never seen it. Oh really?
1: Yeah. Oh well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Road road ID. R O A D I D. I get no money for this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't advertise <optimize> things for- <sighs> So what are some resources? We mentioned aphasia.org. Yes. We mentioned your YouTube video, which people I guess could what was that called again?
3: Uh, it's recognize aphasia. So if you just search that in the search bar on YouTube, you can watch, it's like a 15 minute, 14 minute video. Uh, mm-hmm. and Avi and I talk about some of the things we talked about today, but then you can hear some examples of different types of aphasia, which I think is really helpful.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any other resources?
2: Yeah, a lot. Yeah, uh, we have
3: plenty. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Avi, so, do you want to tell about something?
2: Yeah. Well, you can go to Google and type aphasia. Uh, and then aphasia, aphasia, uh, crap. Now I forget.
3: Well, aphasia.org, we already said, right. But what about, Ooh. um, and that's for the national aphasia association.
2: And then Adler aphasia center has a lot of stuff, a lot of interesting and funny and, uh, uh, plays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: there's also ARC, which is Aphasia Recovery Connection. That's a, a really good resource. You could check that out. Mm-hmm. It's aphasiarecoveryconnection.org, all one word.
2: And by the way, this aphasia, tra- aphasia recovery connection has 5, 10, 11, 12, 14,000 people now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah.
3: Um,. What else? Some therapy resources, um, tactus therapy, it's T-A-C-T-U-S is how it's spelled. Tactus therapy, excellent resources, especially if like you have a family member who has aphasia or you're just trying to understand more about it as a person with aphasia. Tactus therapy is an excellent resource. Again, I have no paid relationship to any of these things. It's just resources I use a lot. Um, and another one is Lingraphica. Um, it's spelled L-I-N-G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A, Lingraphica. Um, The website is actually aphasia.com, though, and you can check out some of the resources that they have there. Um, Something that I didn't mention, and I'd like to just, because we have a few more minutes, is sometimes people that have very severe aphasia may use a communication device, so they actually have what looks like kind of like an iPad, like some Mm -hmm. sort of mobile device that they can bring with them that they can actually put together sentences and and just, you know, point to pictures, and it will speak for them. That's for people that have very limited verbal output, so sometimes you may meet a person that uses a communication device because of aphasia. And then there are some other communication disorders um, as well that people may use what's called an alternative and augmentative communication device, an AAC device. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there that that exists as well.
1: Right. That, that's a good chance for you to to just quickly mention some related communication disorders that yeah. people should know about.
3: So since we're kind of on the topic of stroke and, and neurologic issues, I can tell you about some other uh, issues that people may have after a stroke, and sometimes the issue isn't isn't a problem with language; it's an issue with um, speech uh, execution or production. And you may meet somebody that has something called dysarthria where their speech kind of sounds uh, a little bit slurred or garbled or discoordinated. Mm If You've ever met somebody who has a stroke and they have um, that weakness on one side of their face. That's like one kind of dysarthria called flaccid dysarthria. And they just sound kind of weak and breathy and difficult to understand. And there's a bunch of different types of dysarthria, just like there's a bunch of different types of aphasia. So we won't get into all of them, but when people are difficult to understand, but it's not a problem with the language, like the words that they're using it's more a problem with how the production or the intelligibility of their speeches, that may be a dysarthria. Okay. So that's a different kind of communication disorder. And then one other one I'll mention is something called apraxia of speech, which is an issue with motor planning and motor programming for speech. So it's like the signal being sent from the brain to the mouth, the, the, that plan, that automatic plan, that's Typically, there is now impaired, and the person may be producing sounds that they are they didn't want to produce, and the speech is coming out uh, very, you know, unintelligible and choppy and difficult to understand. So that also is not a problem with language; it's a problem with speech motor programming. So typically, the person's understanding is fine; they understand everything that you're you're saying. They can write, but their verbal production is impaired. So it's not really for you know you don't have to sit there and diagnose the person but as you know the community it's just good to know that these things do exist and that um, it's not always an issue with language but it could be and and what does that mean and what can you do to communicate better with that person so I hope that's what we hit home with today uh, in explaining some tips and things that you can do if you do meet somebody that you think has a communication
1: right I think this has been really really valuable I'm going to say a quote Um, that I've heard about autism because a number of people on the spectrum are, are not verbal um, or have limited verbal ability is just because I don't speak doesn't mean I have nothing to say. Mm -hmm. I really love that line. So I want to leave with that too. Avi, you want to leave us with anything? Uh,
2: Well, sort of. Um, I love also for me to go for disability sports, like skydiving, scuba Mm. diving, swimming with pigs, uh, you know, something like else. I, I swear, I, I swear <laughs> it is, I have, the book is called Swimming with Pigs. I swear.
1: But, it's that island where they have the pigs, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. But I, I was wondering whether you, uh, your father, son, brother, no, hold on. Kids, uh, dead, mom, mom, no, son. <laughs> my like, daughter? Yes. Yes. My daughter you, with autism. Do you like to come also to swim? Uh, to go for a lot of. In New York City or four hours away, it's a lot, a lot of stuff to do, and uh, and it's free. It's um, but three slash four is free as well. Just saying.
1: Is this from the, um, there's a parks, there's a disability pass for the parks?
2: No. No, like not that. Is, for example, you can go swimming. Uh, Leap of Faith is a disability sport. So you, in the uh, summer is, uh, what is this, uh, um, water ski. And then in the winter is skis or snowboard. And you can is um and it's thirty dollars and it's for one out for one uh day and it's you know basically you know stuff like that or a lot of stuff. So
3: is it through Leap of Faith? Is that the company that put that does these uh disability sports activities? What is the name of the company?
2: Uh it's not it's Oh it's not a company. It's it's, um I have a list of things uh disability sports so uh, I can email with you and uh, Caitlin uh, uh-huh. and you can see a lot of this in New York city, a lot of it. And then, um, yeah, so it's really very lot of stuff to do and it's free or like $5 or whatever. So it's, it's yeah.
1: So that would actually, if you send that to me, we can put that in the show notes so that people can find that. And then I can look into that. No problem. So that's amazing. Thank you both so much for doing this with me. Oh, thank really you for having us.
3: And we really, we love being here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I think it's been great information for everybody. And like I said, we can put the resources in the liner notes. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank
3: You're you very welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, Check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website www.joma.org, that's J O W M A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.